politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen, to the one and only independent conservative talk show host, Daniel Horowitz, back here today at CR Podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here for a new week, the week that will change everything, change the country, change the world as we know it, or will it? Will it change the world? And that is up to us, because as we keep noting, November 9th is more important than November 8th, and January 2023 is more important than January 2025. What do I mean by that? Well, obviously, Election Day is meaningless if we don't show the day afterwards that we're actually going to do something different this time. And obviously, when do the guards change? Whether it's Congress, whether it's governorship, state legislative chambers, more or less, you know, it depends on the states, but certainly at a federal level, January 2023. That matters a lot more than January 2025, which is the next presidential inauguration. And that's what I want to focus on. Obviously, this is pretty much the toughest time to engage in conservative political talk, really any political talk, because the next two days we're in transition. You know, everything's ground to a halt. So it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If that is the news cycle, well, everything hinges on the election, so let's just wait and find out what happens. But for our purposes, we could start building on that now. So I'm going to have on Representative Thomas Massey a little bit later to discuss what he expects to accomplish, hopes to accomplish, will push to accomplish uh, in this next uh, Congress and how we can help him. And I want to get into what happened over the weekend, the 800-pound gorilla in the room, Donald J. Trump. Uh, As far as the election's concerned, look, you know, there's two models. One model is basically the macro polling that shows Democrats getting crushed with independence, losing suburban women, losing Hispanics. Their base is depressed. They have nothing to vote for. All the macro numbers show point to Steve Dace's map, 36 governorships, 55, 56 senators, 255 um, House members for Republicans. You look at the individual polling and even Trafalgar, Insider Advantage, you know, the GOP pollsters, and, you know, it's a lot of races are extremely close. They could all tip in one direction, but, you know, it's hard to square the two. Either way, the Republicans would win, whether it's more in line with a historic midterm election win when the other party is in control of the White House or whether it's a massive, unprecedented wave. Um, that's kind of the, the split between the macro and the micro polling, in my view. So we'll find out which one's right. Um, but either way, Republicans will almost assuredly flip the House and the Senate and they will have dominance in state governments that they largely already have. What are we going to do with that? And it's that view that's going to color my view, my unique view, my unique take on this little uh, kerfuffle between uh, Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis, or you know, more accurately put, a really a one-way kerfuffle. Um, And I'll have a little bit of a different take than everyone else does, as always, which is why you tune in here and uh, send this show to every one of your friends and relatives, even though my voice is pretty much gone today. 
Uh, what a week to lose my voice, but it is what it is. So you are stuck with me until Congressman Massey comes on. Now, first off, uh, one way you can vote, not just during election day, is by voting for the right products. Vote with your pocketbook. One of the hallmarks of this two-tier justice system that we live in, this hierarchy, is that on the one hand, small businesses, or I would say business in general, they could do whatever they want to violate your human rights if they are participating in a spirit of the age item. So for example, they could say, no job for you unless you inject poison into your body. They could discriminate. But when it comes to actually having a business where you have an employee who doesn't show up to work, for example, and you're like, all right, you know, I'm going to fire you, but he happens to be a protected class, guess what? You're screwed. Lawsuits, all sorts of paperwork. You didn't run your business in order to deal with government HR nightmares, and that's why Bambi is there for you. They give you access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just 99 bucks a month as opposed to $70,000, $80,000 a year. They're available by phone, email, and real-time chat. So onboarding, terminations run smoothly, team members reach peak performance, and your business stays compliant with the ever-growing myriad of HR regulations. And with Bambi's HR Autopilot, you'll automate important uh, HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. Folks, this is the core. They are trying to destroy small business in so many ways, and HR compliance is one of them. So that's why I suggest you go to Bambi.com right now and type in conservative review under podcasts when you sign up. And it will help this show. It will help you if you're a small business owner. That's B-A-M-B-E-E.com, Bambi.com. Type in conservative review to get an 80000 a year HR manager for really just 100 bucks a month. So schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate at Bambi.com. So we had this bizarre, very bizarre rally in Pennsylvania where Trump out of nowhere launches an attack on Ron DeSantis and says, Ron DeSantimonious. Oh, yeah. That, that, that was really, really clever, really creative. Okay. Um, here's, you know, the, the, the consensus of most of my colleagues publicly, and you'll hear this from other talk shows today, to the extent that they're willing to talk about this, they will say, look, you know, this is not helpful. We need to be united. The election's so important. We can't do this a few days before. Let's just forget about this and, and move on. <laughs> Except I don't want to forget about this. I, in fact, want to lean in particularly on intra-movement fights because those are the things that we should have the most input and influence over our own base. And this is the future of our own party. And when I say the future of our own party, because I'm an independent conservative, so I mean something very different, I don't mean whether... Donald Trump will be the Republican nominee in 2024 or whether Ron DeSantis will be. Although that could be part of it. I mean what I just started the show with. Whether January 2023 will be the most important date on our mind or whether we'll continue to repeat the mistake that the second we finish one election, the next thing is, oh, who's running for president? Whoa, I thought... 
this election was about saving the world, right? We were going to die if Republicans didn't win. Okay, so let's say they win big. Okay, now make it that we don't die, (laughs) right? I'm sick of elections being an end to itself. I don't want to hear about the presidential election. And I think one of the hallmarks, one of the indications of whether we actually matured as a movement and care for once about our lives, our liberty, our property, our civilization, is if in the coming days and weeks, our focus is not on the presidential election, but our focus is is on what we can do now with the power we have now and the mandate and the momentum and the voter angst that is buttressing those views that we supposedly campaigned on. That's what I want to hear. So to me, what I'm bothered by the most of this, in conjunction with rumors that Trump himself is going to announce for president next week, is it will suck out all the oxygen of everything. We have, we have, I mean, you have Thanksgiving and Christmas coming up. We don't have much time to plot everything we want to do at the state and federal level. It's a narrow window of momentum, narrow window of legislative opportunities, of budgetary opportunities, how to navigate the endless rhino leadership and how to properly pressure them, how conservative talk show hosts can use their influence to pressure them rather than weighing in on these soap opera, you know, pissing matches for presidential primaries. That's what I want to hear. But unfortunately, there's one problem. So everyone's like, look, Daniel, you're right. You're right. Let's let's focus on the here and now. Now, they don't exactly express it the way I did. It's more like don't ruin the election. It's more about tomorrow, November 8th, not, you know, the days beyond that. But okay, except fine. That's a good astute point. It's stupid to have an intra-movement fight in the hours before the election. Okay, I get it. But who the hell is creating that fight? Who is doing it? There's only one man doing it. So doesn't that in itself indicate that that man is going to be a problem for you going forward? Like, oh, no, no, let's not do this. It's it's not stupid to cause a fight. Yeah, well, there's one man doing it. Doesn't that indicate that when when you're in a foxhole, when we're fighting for our lives with people dropping dead every day from bioterrorism, and they're literally, I mean, they're working on a flu mRNA, a mixture of a flu corona, RSV, This is going to be injected in every military person. It's going to be required of everyone. Schools, everything. I mean, hundreds of millions get the flu shot. The FBI. The bioterrorism, the fentanyl, the border. We can't afford living anymore. The coming energy shutdowns. It's going to be really bad in the Northeast, by the way, with the diesel and natural gas shortages. And this man, amidst all of this, every single time will be all about himself. It's all about himself. Whereas one of the two wakes up every day, and of course, each one's going to have ambition. Of course, if you don't have any ambition, then you're not getting anywhere. So anyone who rises to a certain level in politics, there'll be personal ambition. But wakes up every day, How could I change the country? How could I deliver the goods? And one wakes up every day 
It's all a scorecard game about myself. Are we going to keep this crap going because I'm sick of it? No, no, Daniel, it's not worth it. Let's not get involved. Okay, let's unite. I, I understand, but who is the one that seems to be incapable of that discipline every time? And it will continue to be this way. You'll turn off the most people and get the least policy outcomes that you want. And often, the worst policy outcomes. Look, there is no benefit in this industry from where I sit. At the end of the day, right now, he is still the incumbent. I mean, he's not elected to anything. But in terms of, he's the big man on the right. Kind of that, the, the, the leader of the pride. There is no benefit from a conservative talk show standpoint of doing anything but kissing his rear end and dancing around any criticism of him. Because you can only lose. You're not going to gain from that. Every time I do that, people that would otherwise agree with my message, well, I get Trump, I, I'm, I'm done with you. But at some point, you got to deal with the 800-pound gorilla in the room. And again, I'm coming from it from a different perspective than anyone. I don't even care. It's not like, oh, I don't want him to be president because I want DeSantis to be president. Honestly, I'd rather DeSantis run for a third term, somehow change the laws there, and become like the lead governor in the national divorce. To me, it's all a waste of time. You're never going to fix the federal government. Heck, maybe, maybe I'd support Nikki Haley or Mike Pence. So then everyone on our side openly loses hope in what is already lost, and focus on what should matter, which is national divorce. But what I do care about is him constantly sucking out the oxygen from what we need to do right now. And that's what bothers me. Our sponsor today, folks, again, vote with your feet. Stop voting for those who hate us. Profiling, surveillance, data harvesting. There's lots of things not to like about the tech giants, and it's not getting better. But what can you do about it? Well, not all of us have $44 billion to buy up Twitter like Elon Musk. But the good news is you don't need to be a billionaire to take a stand. Less than 7 bucks a month. <clears throat> okay, $1 less than getting verified on Twitter now. You can join me and fight back against big tech by using ExpressVPN. What is it? It's essentially a mask. Except unlike a Chinese diaper, it actually works to mask your searches, your video history, everything you click on so they can't sell your personal data and spy on you. It uh, makes anonymous much of your online presence by hiding your IP address. ExpressVPN is a unique um, identifier that every device has or it blocks that device um, so no one could trace it back to you. That's why I use ExpressVPN on every one of my devices. Uh, it, it's literally like I feel like the way the psychopaths do going out without a mask, that's what it's like using a computer without ExpressVPN. So if you don't like big tech tracking you and selling your personal data for profit, it's time to fight back. Visit expressvpn.com slash conservative. <clears throat> that's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash conservative. And by the way, very limited time, so make sure you go right now before the end of the year to get the three months free. Okay, that's a big thing. So as cheap as it is, three months free with expressvpn.com slash conservative. Make sure to use that URL.
So again, as you can tell, I'm really losing my voice here. <clears throat> but I wanted to give you the perspective that no one else will give you. I don't want to hear about a presidential election. I don't want to hear about a personal pissing match every second. I want to hear right now, what are you going to do for me? Okay, not how you're going to distract from that. Now, you know, I don't shy away. I don't dance around an issue. I'll tell you exactly what I believe. You know, you'll have these other guys, <clears throat> including people I like, well, this is how it is. You know, the, it was inevitable. The two titans are going to fight. Uh, okay, uh, enough with the commentary. What do you believe? At some point, you got to freaking take a side. Now, I'm taking a side in a unique way, but I'm not going to duck, you know, and dance around it. I'll, I'll be open with you. If you put a gun to my head and say the presidential election is everything that matters, who are you going to vote for? It's not even close. You know where I stand on that. Obviously, in my mind, you got to be stupid not, not to pick DeSantis because he delivers the most with much less liability turning people off. Makes it much more about the issue than himself. So he gets everyone talking about the issue, not about his personality, whether you like it or not. I can't even understand the other side at this point. Again, it doesn't mean you have to be sad about having supported Trump in the past or about anything he did. But where we stand now, it makes no sense. And I see him being much more of a distraction or a liability headed forward. But with that said, at the same time, I actually feel it would be a step down for DeSantis to waste his life trying to fix a federal system that's unfixable. And that's why I almost want like some sort of milquetoast loser to run and everyone just lose all hope in that and focus on the states. So I truly do have an independent view in that sense, but I'm not going to shy away from saying, yeah, I mean, on a personal level, on a moral level, on a policy outcome level, and on a political science level, I think in every single dimension, I, I can't understand any bit of... um you know, benefit the other way. There's a couple of things I just wanted to mention now that we're on this. I didn't know this was a thing, but uh, it, it's funny. It was carefully timed with this uh, hit on DeSantis was all of his bots online were suddenly like, Ron DeSantis is establishment. Oh, he's a stat. He's meeting with Kevin McCarthy and Paul Ryan, and like, what? They just make stuff up. Oh, he has too much money. It must mean he is establishment. Now, folks, even if there would be truth to what they're saying, these are indications you look for when you don't know someone, and you're like, okay, well, where does he stand? Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm suspicious about what some people are saying about him. You know, who who he talks to, or whatever. But when someone delivers like that. So the fact that some people like Jeb Bush will say, hey, you know, I think he you know, it looks like he's a pretty effective governor. That's actually a good thing. <laughs> you know, again, I don't think we need to be working within the Republican Party. I truly don't support any of this and think we need a new party and a new country, basically. But if you're 
Endgame is the Republican nominee for president, which all the Trump bots are into that, well then, you're going to want to at least try to build consensus without sacrificing your policies, which he hasn't shown so far, he hasn't done that. I hear this bizarre thing that he's saddling up to Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy is only there because of Trump. Here's the sick irony. I'll, I'll give you a, a, a factoid I'm sure most of you don't know. 2014, Republicans win a big election, big midterm, kind of like now. Obama's second term, he's unpopular. His policies are even more unpopular. Kevin McCarthy was the GOP whip at the time. And he was a shoo-in to be majority whip from, you know, well, actually he was already. It was, it was the Senate that flipped. They already got the House. So he was majority whip. And Raul Labrador, he's from the panhandle in uh, Idaho. Um, he's now running for attorney general and he'll probably win. He knocked off a rhino in the primary. So he'll definitely beat the Democrat. But Raul Labrador... One of the founding members of the Freedom Caucus, along with DeSantis, he ran against McCarthy. Kind of like a picket's charge, just like a, to make a point. You know, he got like 20% of the conference, 15% of the vote, whatever. Ron DeSantis gave the nominating speech for Raul Labrador. He openly fought McCarthy before Trump and MAGA stepped onto the scene. Some people were actually fighting the establishment before it was cool. Let's not forget, Trump is not a Nigel Farage. Okay, he's not a leader of a populist movement. It was there, it was growing, and he took advantage of it. If he would have seen an opening with a different movement, if there would have been a market for it, I think we all agree he would have went in that direction. But he didn't, and that's fine. And in some ways, he was helpful in growing the movement. And there's no need or reason or desire to deny that. But like this notion that somehow, and this is what he's going to do. Trump attacks you not by, in, in your weak point. He actually attacks you in your strong point. And he did this with Cruz a little bit. And again, I'm not, as you all know, I've really soured on Cruz. And I don't think we'd be in a better position now if he would have been president or whatever. But... That's what he did. And he'll attack you from the right, where even if there's a kernel of truth to it, it's like, dude, that applies to you times a million. So it's like people in his camp are criticizing DeSantis for endorsing John Odea for Senate in Colorado because, you know, Odea's a rhino. Now, yeah, I mean, I'm into no rhinos, but again, I mean, that's my view. I'm the minority view that believes even in a general election not to vote for rhinos, but no one else believes in that, including all the Trump people. So you're going to attack DeSantis for endorsing a rhino in the general election over a Dem when Trump has saddled us with rhino after rhino for four freaking election cycles in primaries. Okay, like Katie Britt in Alabama. Alabama's so red, we could have gotten anyone. We have Katie Britt there. We got the Wizard of Oz who's still struggling to beat Fetterman. And this has happened time and again, the amount of patriots we had on the show, including Trump patriots, like people that were really into him from day one, and he shafted them.
So this is going to be the game. They'll they'll find ways. Well, you you took money from this guy, so you must be a well. What I mean, this is such garbage. Such garbage. And you know, th- there's a there's a lot to say on this, but I just want to head forward in more of a positive spin, more of a positive spin on this. And I'm going to have a column out today reflecting this point. What can we do prospectively to make this work? And I have a plan, a grand plan. If Trump and DeSantis really want to be president, and I have no idea if DeSantis does or doesn't, I, have, I know nothing more than you do about that. I think we certainly do know Trump does want to run again if for no other reason he has to avenge his loss because again it's all a scorecard it's all a legacy it's not about where the country is do i think that he loves america and believes in things at its core i think he does but i think his personality flaws whenever they come into conflict with that will always supersede it which is why he will never be a voice for us on the vaccine issue he's too close with pharma and it's too much part of his legacy and that's a very very fatal problem But it doesn't have to be this way. And basically my point is, both Trump and DeSantis, if they played up their respective strong points based on their positions of power or influence at present, they can make the presidential election irrelevant because they will rectify the problems now. We can't wait another two years to stop the FBI from rounding up political opponents. We can't wait another two years of died suddenly and plummeting birth rates. It is every day. It is shocking that the most extreme theories that were out there, the first people to write on, hey, you know, are we having a, a torrent of stillbirths, a dearth of birth, you know, new births, a lot of neonatal deaths? Nah, it can't be. More, more and more, the data's there. Could we really wait? Do you know by the next presidential election, you're going to, if you don't do something different now and follow our Nuremberg agenda, you will have the same technology in the flu shots and RSV and God knows how many other things. We can't suffer another two years of the transgender culture that is literally the clock is ticking every year that kids come of age. You, what, what you have, according to some polls, 10, 15% of that generation that is so confused, they're nothing but a bunch of metaverse, androgynous, mindless bots. Obviously, we can't suffer another two years of hundreds of thousands of illegals pouring over every month, the repeat violent offenders roaming the streets, the locking up of our food and fuel creation of a energy lockdown in other words this is not a debate over should we have a 5% marginal tax rate in this state or 6% we're fighting for our right to survive, our right to live freely and this is where DeSantis and Trump come into play let's first do DeSantis, what's his role his role right now 
is to blow the ceiling off the limits of what a governor could do, of what state sovereignty is. Take his motto of keep Florida free to the next level, declaring it a constitutional sanctuary, eventually using law enforcement to directly confront and deter federal overreach. Build up that infrastructure within the state to make it as independent as possible. Work with Carrie Lake, hopefully, maybe one or two others, and build that up. That's his job. That's what I want to see from him. I want to see him take that first term and go much further in the second term. But there's a problem. He's only one man. He has some influence outside of Florida. Maybe he'll run for president. Maybe he'll be president. But he's just governor of Florida. Most other governors are horrible. Absolutely horrible. And the electoral, even if there's a big wave tomorrow, it will not inspire them to change their ways. Because that's who they are. They're not going to change on their own. Think about all those America First legislators in each chamber, in each red state. You know who they are. There's usually like 10 of them, really good guys down to earth, just like you and me, normal people. They have great ideas. They won't go anywhere. Leadership and the governor won't support it. So we'll have a bunch of great ideas, and they won't go anywhere, and nothing will change. That's where Donald Trump comes into play. Imagine if Trump, for once, would put himself aside and say, you know what, I'm not just going to campaign on personalities, but really about myself. I'm going to go around the country and do legislative rallies. I'm going to campaign on ending liability for pharma. I'm going to campaign on banning all trannyism and grooming in the states, and I'm going to buttress, you know, different legislation doing that. Okay, you know, we had, I'll just, you know, off the top of my head, Brian Slayton in um, Texas, you know, he's a House member there. He wants to ban, criminalize all, you know, drag story time, all this time. We need that bill in every state it should pass within the first week of session. Campaign on that. Elevate those people. Elevate their issues. I think of, you know, Melissa Blasek. We've had her on the show. Friend of mine, New Hampshire House. New Hampshire might even get a supermajority, but they have a jerky governor, a rhino governor. Come into New Hampshire and rally with her and her colleagues on all of her medical freedom bills. They're going to have bills in New Hampshire too on, on parental freedoms with the child protective custody. Big problem now. Them seizing kids for political reasons. I mean, we can go on and on. And again, after the election, I'm going to try to put together some sort of a, a checklist of priorities. There's so many of them. He could elevate them. He could be the great equalizer. He could be that force that we always needed but lacked. And he doesn't even have to mention DeSantis, like do what DeSantis did. No, just mention the issues. If you don't want to mention his name, that's fine. Nothing to do with him. It's not about it one person. And if you would do that, and then at a federal level, like we talked about last week, initiating a campaign against McConnell for majority leader, whether that means someone like Rick Scott challenging him or whatever, whomever, whatever. Canceling the lame duck session, passing a CR, fighting on the budget bills. Again, weigh in on the legislation, but weigh in in a good way. 
be a voice for the voiceless. The most voiceless people are the vaccine injured. Elevate their issue. Do rallies with them. Demand compensation for the victims and treatment and getting to the bottom of the magnitude of this Holocaust. Folks, if DeSantis does his job and Trump does his job, it's not with the exclusion of running for president. One or both could still run for president. But two things. Number one, if they were to do this, it would make that almost not important anymore because we'd rectify the problem now, which is when we need to rectify it. And number two is we would all be winners because that's the way to run. You want to diss the other guy? You use your perch of influence, whether you know Ron is elected, Trump currently isn't in office, but he's more powerful than anyone who is, more influential. You use your perch to drag discernible policy outcomes from the jaws of de- defeat to victory. Deliver the goods for us. That's a great competition to have. I'm better than Ron DeSantis because I'll deliver more. And Ron's like, I'll, I'll up the ante by doing this in Florida. That's the type of drag race where we, we all win. We're all winners. Whereas the other way around, the more conventional thing, it's all about, all about running for president. It's all personal. It's all a pissing match. We all lose. Because not only do you get nothing for that, but it will utterly distract and nuke any inkling of the base and the conservative, so-called conservative uh, noisemakers to focus on the issues that matter in the way they matter at the time they matter. So this, this is the take you're not going to hear anywhere else as always. That's what needs to happen. That's what should happen. Um, let me know, Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com, what you think um, of the two. Do you, who, who do you think would fulfill that mandate better? Who do you think would follow that path? Um, I'll tell you this much. I'll tell you something very interesting. I had a conversation with a few uh, people that you would call in the DeSantis camp yesterday. They don't work for him, but you would definitely view them as like, you know, okay, they, you know, if there's a fight that goes down, they would squarely be DeSantis for president. They all agreed with my assessment that they would rather DeSantis as governor permanently being like the lead governor in a national divorce than even running, than even having him for president. And what that told me is that most of his supporters get they get it they get what time it is and they're not DeSantis supporters the way the Trump supporters are Trump supporters because with even with them it's not really about him it's about saving our life liberty and property and understanding how it matters and the way to accomplish that whereas with some others I'm convinced and I don't mean anyone who just likes him a lot of them who like him are understanding what's going on but there's a there, there is a contingent of them that it's literally all about the man. And it just doesn't make any sense. But that's all I'm going to say about this for now. Maybe we'll continue tomorrow. But definitely want to save some time for the best representative in Congress, Thomas Massey. So in order that you guys don't have to listen to this raspy voice the rest of the time, 
I want to bring in another perspective today, not so much to focus on this kerfuffle with the presidential election looming, but precisely to discuss what we will do with the current mandate, how to turn a red wave into a red mandate. Um, What do you expect from this Congress? We know they'll win the House no matter what. You need a simple majority. They'll get it. What are you going to do with it? Okay, let's get that straight. They're going to win the House. There's no need to speculate. So why can't we start thinking right now, what are some of the landmines that we need to maneuver around to make sure that it's meaningful and we don't wind up with this business of, well, you know, um, we don't have the presidency and actually it's an awfully good Senate map in 2024. So maybe we could even get 60 seats then. So wait till then. No, we'll be dead by then. Okay. We'll be dead a hundred times over. I mean, uh, think about died suddenly times two years. I mean, forget it. (laughs) The birth rates, the death rates. Um, and then when, once they, get the mRNA into RSV and flu shots. I mean, that's going to be within the next 12 months or so. We're, we're done. So let's judge the Congress by its best performer. Well, what does the best performer himself expect? Congressman Massey, 4th Congressional District of Kentucky. You're all familiar with him. Congressman, thanks so much for joining us today on your busy campaign schedule. Yes, I was with Rand Paul this morning in uh, Greenham County, Kentucky. He's barnstorming. Uh, the state, you know, he's in a plane and I'm in a car. So, um, so I could only attend one of these events, but there's a lot of energy here in Kentucky. To your point, I'm, I'm glad we don't have to prognosticate about what's going to happen tomorrow. It's heads we win, tails we win. Uh, we're either going to win a, a, like an overwhelming majority, the type of which they will take several election cycles to erase, uh, or we're going to win a slim majority Either way, we need to do the same thing. If we have a large majority, the mandate is on Kevin McCarthy and all the committee chairmen to do something real. And if we have a small majority, then the Thomas Massey caucus is very powerful if there's a majority of one. Uh, Either way, here's what we need to do. The first fight happens in the lame duck session. The, the, um, The government is not funded past December. They did a CR, they punted. Now, the Democrats could have gotten more, but, you know, they risked it and they're going to lose on this bet. Well, they should lose unless the Senate betrays us or the House Republicans betray us, because what the first thing we should try to do in December is to keep them from doing an omnibus that ties our hands for the first nine months of our majority. Why would we live with a Democrat budget for the first nine months of our majority now? It's going to take 60 votes in the Senate. This is not reconciliation. This is a spending bill. Uh, so I believe it takes 60 votes in the Senate and a simple majority in the House. Pelosi has the votes to get this through the House. Uh, they, Chuck Schumer does not have the votes. Remember, it's still the Pelosi and Schumer show in the lame duck session. Uh, Schumer doesn't have the 60 votes. So if some lame duck Republicans betray us or if or if just any Republicans betray us over there, we're going to be locked up for nine months. Okay, Uh, that's the first fight. Whatever happens there determines whether our next fight is in January, February, March, or whether it's on September 31st of 2023. Because if the Democrats get their nine-month spending bill, we literally are, are... 
are powerless to, uh, and I know people don't like to hear this. Let me explain what I'm talking about. Of course, we can do hearings. We can subpoena people. The, the rules have all changed. You go to jail if you don't show up and testify now. The Democrats have, have sort of changed the rules on that. So uh, it's going to cut the other way against them. Uh, and, and that's not a bad thing as a member of Congress. I've always been annoyed when people don't come and testify. Uh, and especially people who are sitting members, uh, you know, or sitting participants in the executive branch. So we can do all that. But as far as passing legislation, we, we can pass a lot of uh, messaging bills, they call them behind the scenes. Yep. Uh, you know, create the optics, show them what we would do if we had the White House, if we had 60 votes in the Senate. Okay, we can do that as much as we want. We can run the tables in the House. Most, if all of that stuff will die in the Senate, and if it ever made it through the Senate, Biden wouldn't sign it. So where does our leverage lie? Uh, There's one bill or a, a set of bills that every president for 234 years has put his uh, signature to. He, the, <laughs> you know what bills those are? They're the spending bills. I know with absolute certainty that Joe Biden will sign the Republican spending bills. He's not going to shut down the government. He's not going to do it. So that's where our leverage lies. To the extent we can pass stuff and get Joe Biden to sign it, it has to be in the spending bills. And I think it should be in the form of limitation amendments. Yeah. I'm not talking about putting non-germane things in the spending, you know, like trying to change laws in the spending bill. Uh, I'm not saying take the spending bill hostage. I'm just saying don't fund the things we don't like. Don't no catch fund- and release. No catch yes. and release. None of th- yeah. It, and by the way, they run afoul of something called the Anti-Deficiency Act. If they they are literally breaking the law if they spend money that Congress hasn't appropriated. So don't appropriate it. Don't appropriate money for 87,000 new IRS agents. Just don't do it. Don't allow any of the money to be used to implement ATF rules on um, you know uh, pistol braces for instance, the, the sort of uh, bans that they're doing administratively, they're not doing them by law. And so because they're gone, they've gone out on a limb administratively, we just, we write amendments into the bill, all of them germane to the spending bill that says none of the money hereby appropriated can be used for, and then you fill in the blank. And there should be at least, you know, a hundred of those. You can't push exactly. a, can't push a string uphill we can't make him sign, uh, you know, new laws, but we can. But he is going to willingly sign all the spending bills we send him. So put it in there, defund it. The, now, let me manage expectations. It, if we lose the fight in the lame duck session, because you know the Senate doesn't hold the line, this opportunity is not available to us until September 31st of 2023. Everything before then is just going to be no. hearings investigations yeah. and messaging bills. Okay. Uh, and if we a- accomplish our agenda by defunding the things that we don't like and the things that we believe are unconstitutional, that only lasts as long as the spending bill. It's true you need a president who will sign permanent law 
otherwise, you know, the spending bill, if it lasts a year, the defunding of something lasts for that year. That's, that's what we need to do. I'm saying focus on the spending. Now, let me, I'm, I'm sort of appealing back the onion here. I say the spending bill, it shouldn't be one spending bill. We should go back, as our rules call for, to doing 12 separate appropriations bills. Um, fund the roads you know, and bridges, fund NASA, pay the soldiers, keep the national parks open, send those bills to the Senate, you know, regardless of whether we have 60 there or not, uh, and then send them to Joe Biden. If he doesn't sign those things, he's responsible for shutting those things down. Then we get to the harder nuts to crack, like the bills that fund uh, DOJ or IRS or border. Or Pfizer, like HHS. Pfizer, <laughs> yeah, HHS, CMS. <laughs> uh, that's where we're going to have fights. But those fights over those hostages should be separate from the other hostages. I call them hostages because... Republicans and Democrats are guilty of putting 12 hostages, that's the 12 spending bills, in one room and saying, we're going to shoot all of them if we don't get a majority to pass this legislation. And then the media goes along with it. Here's one other twist, Daniel. This is like if Thomas Massey were Speaker of the House, how would I control the messaging on this so that we don't get slaughtered by the media uh, or, or set up? I would, and this this took me some getting accustomed to, and it may give you heartache when I say this, but on January 4th, which is the day after we take the majority, mm-hmm. I would pass a CR preemptively that kicks in on September 31st, assuming that's when the deadline is, and that funds all of the government at 90% and pays all of our uh, debts so that nobody can say we're going to default on September 31st. I would go ahead, put that backstop in place. I've never voted for a CR that's passed, <laughs> right? Like that's an anathema to me to do that. But I understand I've witnessed the behavior of some of my colleagues. And in all fairness, you're trying to limit the magnitude of the brinkmanship itself yes. so that, you know, McCarthy and these guys can't say, well, and I'm kind of scared of this. Yeah. Um, I, I get what you're saying. I think it is important also for you to remind them that Joe Biden ain't Bill Clinton or Barack Obama. I mean, if you want to have a, a a government shutdown fight with a president, they always used to say the bully pulpit of the presidency. I mean, my gosh, they're going to have a big problem with that. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, he's. He's also not Bill Clinton in that Bill Clinton came back and did welfare reform. Like Bill Clinton came back after he took his ass whipping in the midterms and was and uh, you know was sort of a different had a different approach they are hardcore their their base now won't let them go any other direction uh, I mean you hear Biden saying he's going to shut down he's shut down drilling and he's not going to allow any more I saw that in a video like you know just days before the election they're unrepentant about the things that they have done that have caused inflation. Uh, so I, that's the other way they're different than Bill Clinton. They're not going to. They're not going to learn from. He's not going to learn from his ass whipping. He's going to take tomorrow. No, no. I mean, and, that, and that's the thing. But at some point, you got to create an inflection moment, and I think that's what you're talking about. At least 
making it less scary for GOP leadership. So you have some sort of a backstop, doesn't shut down the whole government. Um, Impeachment. I want to get to impeachment. So this I find interesting, and I'm going to sound a little squishy to some of my audience, Mm. um, but I have a concern that, see, I measure how hardcore the majority is by how much they're willing to have a defund fight. But publicly in conservative media, it's being measured by how much you're willing to impeach. But So my problem with impeachment is this. There's almost not a single member of this administration that doesn't deserve to be impeached. They literally violated the Constitution on every front, even human rights, and most of them, whether it's HHS, DOJ, I mean, DHS for sure, um, literally working with the cartels, Mayorkas there, lied about his own border agents um, and accused them of whipping people. I, I agree with that. But just like legislation, the default is it doesn't pass unless you get not just both bodies, but in the case of mm-hmm. impeachment, um, 67 senators. And the reality is, and you and I both know that there's, fit, let's say, 15 conservatives in the Senate, and that's being generous. Now, maybe tomorrow we'll, we'll put a couple more in, but there's, a, I mean, that's like a rhino fest. I mean, even your worst members in the House look like the founding fathers compared <laughs> to some of those Senate Republicans. <laughs> And what's going to happen is it never, impeachment never goes well for the party doing it. Um, it becomes very personal. It doesn't become about the issues like this election thankfully did, which is why we're doing so well. It becomes personal. You're not going to get it anyway. It goes to the Senate and half the Republicans are going to be dumping on, on our messaging. Whereas when it comes to defund, it's that directly redresses the issue. Plus, the default is no budget unless – we, the House, agreed to sign on to it. You see what I'm saying? Isn't that yeah. where to invest the capital? Yeah. And won't impeachment draw off from it and make leadership even more leery and say, look, you screwed it up, and now you know we can't do defund? Yeah. Well, I am on the committee where the impeachments will originate. I'm on the Judiciary mm-hmm. Committee. And so uh, I'm, I'm very sensitive to this. Let me tell you a quick story. When uh, a few years after I arrived in Congress, John Boehner was the speaker and Barack Obama was the president. And Boehner was telling us, oh, we can't do anything. We can't accomplish anything. <laughs> uh, and he would go negotiate things and he would come back and we would get zero in the negotiation. <laughs> so there were about a dozen of us congressmen who invited Antonin Scalia to breakfast. And the concern that uh you know, my colleagues wanted him to address was to restore the constitutional balance of government. They wanted the Supreme Court to be a better referee between the ad, oh, the administration and the legislative branch. And and Scalia said, "This is not my job. You know, I'm a, I'm a jurist, and I decide if somebody's been harmed and and how what the remedy is." He said, "It's only a byproduct that we occasionally decide constitutionality of laws. That's not our primary sure. focus." And he said, and by the way, you're already the most powerful branch of government. You're more powerful than our branch. You're more powerful than Obama's branch. And uh, you need to use the Constitution if you want to restore constitutional balance. And one of my colleagues protested and said, but impeachment is so unwieldy, Justice Scalia, with all due respect, like you just said, Daniel, he said it never works out for the party that does it and blah, 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 blah. And, And Scalia, when my colleague was done, Scalia said, I'm not talking about impeachment. I'm talking about the power of the purse. Yes. Everything I've heard you complain about that Obama is doing, you have funded. Just stop <laughs> funding it if you don't like it. And uh, I was, in, in my heart, I was cheering. 
it you know it wasn't appropriate to jump up and clap uh, at that moment, but I was cheering uh, for Scalia explaining to them what you've just explained to your yes. listeners is where the power is. Now, with that said, uh, there have been six federal judges in the course of uh, congressional history who've been successfully impeached. I served with one of them. His name was Alcee Hastings yep. from Florida. He, he was impeached, disbarred, uh, basically uh, prohibited from practicing law. So he ran for Congress and won. And so there was an impeached, a judge who had been impeached for, for taking a bribe uh, who served in Congress. Now, that was a long time ago. The impeachment was 20 years ago, maybe, and then and then he served in Congress uh, when I first got there. We overlapped for about eight years, I think. Um, but that's, like you said, I unless you've got something like with Alcee Hastings where he took a bribe over $100,000 and it was, the evidence was pretty strong yeah. and, he, and he escaped it's conviction. It's just political. Even though we would argue taking a bribe is not nearly as bad as working with the cartels to invade your own country. But again, that's part of the issue. Yeah, there are people, look, what you and I are arguing is not, we're not arguing that there aren't judges who deserve to be impeached. We're not arguing that that Mayorkas doesn't deserve to be impeached. We're we're not even making a case about Biden here. Uh, What we're... What we're saying is it's not it's going to fail in the Senate. Just understand it's going yeah. to fail in the Senate unless something else catalyzes. Bi- Biden's that. a great example. I-, I would support it even more, like you said, like like a judge type of thing. So in this case, it would be a cabinet member. But for Biden himself, I would much rather the guy's a dead carcass when it comes to messaging. I would much rather a fight over he wants to shut the government down in order to fund grooming or illegal immigration yeah. or masking your kids or mandates like that's something. Let him do that. Whereas with impeachment, it just it, it, it the best you could do is fight it to a draw on messaging. And you're not even going to get the outcome anyway you'll have Mitt Romney like you know dancing there in the Senate every second doing his thing I mean I just I just feel and I know my audience is probably salivating for it because it sounds like I'm gonna impeach the guy like that's the ultimate penultimate you know punishment you could you can meet out but really it's like it's the defund I mean that's that's where it is so I just I'm just a little bit concerned that the base has been convinced that that's kind of the measure of how you're checking the executive branch, but I just don't think it's effective in the era we live in. And let me uh, dovetail the defund in with some other one of the other levers I talked about, which is the hearings. Now, I've been in Congress for way too long. I've been this uh, 10 years. It will be 10 years here in a few months that I've been in Congress. I've seen these plays over and over. I've been in the majority. I've been on the oversight committee when you know Eric Holder was in power, when Lois Lerner was called to our committee, uh, when we asked for other things from the administration, they stonewall you. If your listeners can get documents from the executive branch faster than the yep. Judiciary or the Oversight Committee uh, using FOIA, I mean, Judicial Watch, run circles around our committees, getting this information. 
because we've devolved to a point where the administrative branch just thumbs their nose at you. Oh, it'll take a while to do the document production. Or, or, and, or in the case of the FBI, which is one of the biggest fish we need to deal with, it's yeah. an ongoing investigation. Yeah, well, which isn't a valid ex- excuse, uh, but they'll, they'll try it. So what we need is a credible threat of cutting their funding. Yeah. 1%, you know, it would, they would come to heel so quickly if they ha- had to hire or if they had to fire 100 of 10,000 agents, right? If they, if they knew the next week they, they literally didn't have the money and they were gonna have to furlough these uh, agents, they would, the, prospe- the credible prospect of that would cause document production at the speed of light. And that's what we have to be willing to do. And it has to be credible. And by the way, if it's credible, you probably won't have to do it. So the, the Republicans need to resolve to at least uh, make this credible threat that if you don't produce the documents or the people who are going to testify, we're cutting your funding. Um. I know we're almost out of time. I want to go through a couple of important issues here. Um, Obviously, uh, Republicans taking over Congress now and not addressing pharma fascism, the COVID genocide, the gain of function, the I mean, everything that has happened would be like, you know, not dealing with box cutters on planes after 9-11s like. But yet it it barely is is talked about. we, again, we all understand that certain things have to be in defund, certain things that are appropriate for messaging bills that at least start to build support. So one of those things that we really need to be pushing, at least to build support, is, is liability protection. Where do things stand on that? Can you give us a glimpse on what you plan on doing uh, with the PREP Act, the NCVIA, you know, the 86, whatever, you know, liability yeah. protection? Do, do, you, do you have any confidence that you could build support with the freshmen, with other people there, to really force a vote on, do you think that pharma earning more than ExxonMobil are, is too poor to be on the hook even after VSafe and versus 14,000 categories of maladies of injuries to have the baseline level of liability that Toyota is on the hook for with their airbags. Yeah, the, the Democrats have, have, have to be taking one of two ridiculous positions about the vaccines and the injuries. Either, they either have to say no one's ever been injured ever by any of the COVID vaccines, which we know is false. Or they have to say that everybody who's been injured, among them, nobody deserves compensation for their injury. (laughs) Because those are the only two rationale I can see for not compensating anybody who's been injured by these vaccines. Now, we are not living under the 1986 law at the moment. The, the government has colluded with Pfizer and Moderna and, and J&J to keep us into, in a different regime, which you, which you mentioned, which is the PREP Act. I call it medical malpractice martial law. It literally says it overrides every state liability law, every federal law is overridden when the PREP Act is invoked. It has been invoked for uh, COVID, not just for the vaccines, but for the tests and all of the treatments that receive an EUA. And that's why they want to stay under EUA. Uh, we we need to, that's what I would defund the PREP Act. That would, man, that one thing, defund, yeah. defund any uh, invocation of the PREP Act as regards to the COVID treatments or COVID, you know, uh, tests and, and 
and uh, I have a hard time calling them vaccines, jabs. Yeah. Do that. That that would take care of everything. If there was just the least little bit of liability, they would not be doing what they're doing. The corporations nope. wouldn't. And um, short of that, we. By the should... way, I would even go with compensatory only, no punitive damages. If if, if that hurts too much, because all we need is the crack in the door, that That's discovery. Right. You know, we'll we'll raise money. We have Children's Health Defense Fund. We got Dell Big Trees guys. We just you don't need a, a million lawsuits, just a few. <laughs> by by the way, there's another bill uh, that every president signs these days. It's the National Defense Authorization Act, and within that. They're going to do it in the lame duck, by the way. Yeah. And so Republicans, maybe not during the lame duck, but uh, after that, well, ha- if there's some kind of like delayed NDAA, uh, they, they have the ability to put my H.R. 3860, which is the, the bill that I introduced before there was a military vaccine mandate because I had whistleblowers telling me they were pushing paperwork up and down the chain of command to get ready to do a vaccine mandate. I entered H.R. 3860. Here's the sad part. I've only got uh, about 90 Republicans. So I've got uh, less than half of the Republican conferences a co-sponsor of that bill. And way too many members of the Armed Services Committee are not co-sponsors of that, including the chairman. That uh, I'm hoping that a brave soul will introduce H.R. 3860 into, as an amendment in that committee to the NDAA. Because you can force that vote, and and um, I'm thinking of that person right now. I need to talk to him when it's, we get it, off this podcast. It's a de facto must-pass bill, not technically, yeah. but it has been pretty much since World War II, and uh, you know they they and and that's definitely something. The military, the woke and broke military, not just oh, oh uh, 847 billion more funding, more funding. No, no, no. Qualitatively, what sort of military do you want? We now have 17 year olds who obviously made the right decision not to get the thing. You know, their parents, grandfather, great grandfather was in the military. They cannot join the military uh, for not getting it. It's unbelievable um, that that's going on. One quick thing um, this has been, you were, you were one of the pioneers on this. You would think we have more support for this now than ever the surveillance state, the Patriot Act, things like that. Um, you know, I, I must say, when I was younger, around 9 11 time, I didn't. See, this is a problem. I was caught up in the kind of, oh, my gosh, you know, our government's good and they're bad. And now I'm more scared of our own government than I am of anything, you know, externally. And we now know they are surveilling every aspect of our lives. The medical surveillance. Um, this is a huge, huge, huge problem. Um, in my mind, we don't we need something that will and, and I, I feel we need a model bill and I'd love to model it in the states as well that any member of the federal government that is caught without probable cause surveilling an American and recording data on him without probable cause he committed a crime, there is a criminal cause of action against that individual federal official doing it. Um, Talk about liability protection. Um, But we could start with the Patriot Act. Wouldn't there be bipartisan support or have the Democrats become such hacks? Uh, so something like the Patriot Act has dual jurisdiction, depending on which parts of it, in the Intel Committee and, and the Judiciary Committee. Uh, there are way too many hacks on the Intel Committee. They're, yep. they're chosen even either for, uh, well, let me be kind. They're chosen because <laughs> there's other reasons they're chosen. But they're chosen either because they can't find the problems that need to be fixed 
or they will be compliant and, and uh, persuaded by arguments that this is necessary to keep the country safe, to, to violating the Constitution is necessary. Now, uh, I'm, I'm excited this dual jurisdiction on a lot of this stuff, especially FBI things. Those will be in the jurisdiction uh, of uh, the Judiciary, Judiciary Committee yeah. on which I serve. But what's even more important is that Jim Jordan will be the chairman. And Jim Jordan is acutely aware and very concerned about the abuses. He, maybe 10 years ago when I first got to Congress, he wasn't as concerned about this, but he has seen, and, and so have a lot of members, conservative, otherwise, like you said, look, uh, I think we all started out that way, right? Oh, we gotta keep everything safe. But then as you find out the way, how this stuff's being used, you, you realize Ben Franklin was right. You can, you can't. Well, now they're telling us, they're telling us we are the terrorists. Back then it was, okay, it's the Islamic, you know, Al Qaeda, whatever. So it's like, Hey, maybe one day it could be used for now. They're like, you're the primary threat. They don't talk about Al Qaeda very often. And by the way, the one, this is almost like, um, the whole natural immunity denial scam at CDC and how they lie about that. There's a lie that goes on in, in the FBI and the Intel community where they, they think they have found a way around the Fourth Amendment. Uh, they collect data, incidental data, on Americans while they're pursuing targets who have no constitutional rights, i.e. foreigners outside of the country. But they create, they hoover up like a vacuum. They collect massive amounts of, of data on Americans. Now they say because that was collected legally, pursuing targets who don't have constitutional rights, that um, that whole database, they don't need probable cause to go into that database and use American citizens' identifiers to search it. That's such a big lie. That's as, this is as big of a lie as natural immunity doesn't exist that the CDC's been telling. But uh, they're violating the Constitution that way. And so if there, was, if there were some model law, like you said, it said it would be criminal if you, you, know, if you violate Fourth Amendment, if you don't have probable cause, it would have to anticipate all, all of the ways that they get around this right now. Because I, when you said model law, I thought, well, we've already got model law. It's called the Fourth Amendment. <laughs> but it's, it would be a restatement of that. And but, but, but it is penalties. a complex, I mean, the tech, the, with the technological problems, I think even no matter how certain you are that the Fourth Amendment should apply, I think it is important to spell it out, and but again, and to put teeth in it. Because the problem is, what I'm finding is, that the federal government doesn't listen. I mean, they have troops deployed to Ukraine. They just, they do what they want. So you need, to me, I think the novel approach we need, people are talking about the Homan rule of, you know, cutting off uh, salaries for individual members. I think an even more powerful thing is to start with um, causes of action for, uh, against people that violate those statutes from those that could could have some sort of harm that, that could be claimed that's ripe and has standing in court because, you know, they'll, they'll do it anyway. They'll do it anyway. Yeah. And that's the thing. If you're caught spying, you, John Smith, of the FBI are going to be on the hook for a lawsuit. And here's where the, you know, we talked about the budget bills, the spending bills, that every president since the beginning of our country has signed every year. That's, that is actual must-pass legislation. We talked about the NDAA, that that's basically been uh, must-pass legislation since World War II, as you pointed out. But the opportunity to rein in the surveillance state, 
comes when the existing authorizations expire, then you need to reauthorize, yes. which means you basically everything they're doing becomes illegal on a certain day if you don't write another bill to cover That's what they're really doing. That's a really good point. I see you have all these pro whether sometimes they're entitlement programs, but sometimes they're like, you know, FISA court uh, reauthorizations and NSA stuff. These programs right. are set to sunset. It would be great to put together a list of, you know, the deadlines, the dates for the that. Dates. Yes. yes. Um, we're counting on you for that because that's another important leverage point um, where this so-called must pass legislation. We're going to hear a lot of flowery stuff about parental rights and secure the border and you know and okay you know they'll pass a bill it probably should be okay whatever although i think you and i both know even on the standalone there are certain things that without prodding won't get put in there like okay no mandates but not the take away liability thing right because we don't want to tick them off too much but but that's in other words there's so much work to be done we're gonna be counting on you um and growing the massey caucus hopefully there's more people um up for that and uh look thomas i mean i like i said i'm sorry to take you away from the campaign trail if you get <laughs> below 70 percent tomorrow you could blame you. me all right yeah and let me let me just say how powerful the power of the purse is they cannot turn on their inkjet printer to print even an idea of of how to do something if we have defunded it they can't buy the toner yeah. the ink they can't use the electricity to run the printer, like that's how powerful it is. They literally can't do anything if we defund it. So that's where the power is. Um, if I get, you know, historically in my race, I get uh, the lowest I ever received was 62% in a general election and the highest I think was 72. We should be somewhere in that range. But if I'm below that, I'm blaming you because I should be out uh, campaigning. By the way, I know you got to wrap this up, but I won't be in Kentucky tomorrow night because I am flying to Washington, D.C., uh, because on Wednesday morning, I'll be in federal court suing Nancy Pelosi in Massey v. Pelosi. We have oral arguments at the appeals level of federal uh, court. If win or lose, this will probably go to the Supreme Court after that. That, that. W that the mass mandate she the put on violates um, the, uh, what is it, free movement of? We think it violates four things. But probably the strongest technical argument, and a lot of this boils down to technical arguments, not the argument you'll want to have, is that she reduced our salaries in order to enforce mm. it. And the 27th Amendment says that you can't change the salaries of Congress without an intervening election. And there was no intervening election. And this has not been tested because the 27th Amendment was, was ratified in 92. So there hasn't been a constitutional test of this at the Supreme Court and uh, I know people aren't concerned that my salary was reduced. Maybe it's <laughs> too high for what I do in Congress. But this is a metaphor for what employers and the government in general is doing to other employees, which is to use their their sustenance, their salaries in order to get yes. them to comply. Yes, and so this we're, is so important. We're challenging that. We will keep, keep definitely keep us updated on that. Good luck tomorrow, and we Thank will you. certainly have you on here and beyond. Take care. God bless. All right. Thanks, Daniel. So th there you have it, folks, the one and only Thomas Massey. Wow. Unbelievable. He's, he's on top of everything, that man. Um, always smart, always engaging, always focused. Um, I don't know why he does it. You guys can't see when I'm talking to him. He has this gorgeous view outside his home. Why, why you'd want to be in Washington 
um, rather than where he lives there in northern Kentucky. I don't know, but I think he realizes that he's one of the only ones, if not the only one often, that is willing to do what needs to be done. He 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 lost his salary because he refused to wear that freaking diaper, challenging her, um, and always focus. And, and the power of the purse, it's more important than impeachment. Um, also, other must-pass bills, that's the leverage. That's going to be what we're going to be focusing on. Um, I don't know, given my voice and given how tomorrow is kind of like a funny day in between day, if I'm for sure going to have a show tomorrow. Um, but that's why I wanted to give you double duty. We had really like two shows today, but the second one reflects on the first one. What, what was the point? Now that you listen through the litany of important issues and strategies that we're talking about with Massey, you should recognize that A, it's stupid to focus on the presidential election now, but B, if Donald Trump really wants to show that he is the alpha male, that he is going to be the guy to save us in 2025, he has so much clout. Think about all the things he was saying. With each thing, I was thinking, well, what if Trump would weigh in? You know, we're talking about, oh, well, the lame duck, you know, the 10 senators and McCarthy, McConnell, McConnell might pass it. We lose the leverage for nine months. Well, what if Donald Trump shames McConnell into it? What if he, you know, calls up Rick Scott and says, I'll whip uh, current senators to see if they're going to support you. I'll get all of talk radio, all of Fox News, you know, talk show hosts on their case. He's a lot of power, that man. The question is, will he use it for himself or will he use it for us? And we're living through a time where we cannot afford personal considerations. We cannot afford narcissism. You're always going to have egos involved in politics and you're going to have politics involved in politics but at some point it has to be a means to an end not an end to itself what is the end the end is our policy outcome so we can live freely that's what i'm going to be focused on with the election and beyond some of your comments questions concerns to daniel harwitz at startmail.com till either tomorrow or wednesday god bless y'all and thank you for listening Politicians will never let a crisis go to waste. We have been invaded. The crisis is being used by Republicans as a photo op by the Democrats to expand their voting base. More than 85% of everybody reaching the border is coming in. That's the definition of an open border. Just down the road, you can get in no problem, no Humvees, no armed guards. What people don't realize is there's a way around everything. The Blaze Originals team traveled to the Texas border, ground zero of the most controversial news story of 2024. With some experts estimating over 4 million border crossings in 2023 alone, we embedded with the Take Our Border Back convoy to investigate. What if the entire narrative you thought you knew was a lie? Go watch the real story of Texas versus the feds and how the elites use the border crisis against us by visiting realbordercrisis.com and use code TEXAS for $30 off an annual subscription to Blaze TV. (laughs) 